this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. Hi, this is Jim Pozel. We're trying something a little bit different here. We're going to switch up our format a little. And we're going to have some safety in the news. Then we're going to have some commentary on at least one of the stories. According to a report in many news outlets, a pair of people fell into a chocolate tank and a candy plant. They were rescued by first responders who had to cut a hole into the side of the tank. They worked for an outside contractor. Our next story is from our government accounting office from May 25th. Workplace safety and health, data and enforcement challenges limit OSHA's ability to protect workers during a crisis. From the fact, fast facts section, we testified about the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's efforts to protect workers from COVID-19 and its preparedness for a new crisis. For example, OSHA issued two emergency standards, one to protect healthcare workers and another for vaccinations and testing at large employers. But OSHA faced challenges implementing both standards and withdrew most of their provisions. Employers must report injury and illness data to OSHA. However, non-compliance is potentially widespread. Tell me something that we don't know already. As a result, OSHA may not be able to target inspections where injuries and illnesses are highest. Our early recommendations address this and other issues. The Government Accounting Office estimated that employers did not report injury and illness data for more than 50% of their establishments for which they were required to do so for the calendar years 2016 through 2018. GAO found that OSHA cited employers for nearly 35,800 record-keeping violations in fiscal years 2005 to 2019. Among these violations, 65% occurred in the seven and a half years before a court decision effectively limited the time period for citing these violations. The remaining 35% occurred in the seven and a half years after that court decision. GAO also found that OSHA had limited procedures for encouraging compliance with injury and illnesses reporting requirements and for penalizing non-compliance. Kind of disheartening here. Uh, Record keeping is one of the basic requirements if you're an employer and it's also part of any OSHA outreach course if you're interested in taking any type of OSHA outreach course give us a call that's either construction general industry maritime or disaster response worker you can give us a call at 845-269-5772 or email us at jim at safetywars.com on to our main story here is the stand down by the u.s navy after two significant air mishaps in the last couple of weeks resulting in the fatalities of five uh, Marines in California. So uh, today, on Monday, June 13th, they're doing a safety stand-down, or what they're calling a safety pause. And I guess that sounds better than a safety stand-down, and I'm sure that documentation requirements are a little bit different. 
During the pause, units will review risk management practices and train on threat and error management processes, according to a Naval Air Force's statement. We've all been involved in accident investigations. I'm sure most of us are safety professionals who listen to this podcast. What's some of the things that go on? When you're doing an accident investigation or anything like that, mitigation, remediation, doesn't matter what we call it. There has to be a lot of checklists in there. One of the things that OSHA requires is an ongoing training and communication program for, for your employees throughout employment career. You have to communicate hazards. You have to do all different types of stuff. We could say that often this stuff is a checklist. What happens, what I've seen happen, is that this all comes into a thing, well, we got to have a safety stand down. That way, when the higher-ups go in there and say, well, what did you do to address this accident? What did you do to do? You could then say, we had a safety stand down. We took it so seriously that we actually shut down operations for five minutes, a half an hour, a day for a major one. We spent company time and resources on addressing these safety hazards. And guess what? We take it so seriously that we took it away from production. And what happens to the upper level management often? Oh, well, look at us. We're so serious about safety. We took off from doing our regular stuff and we did safety training. Or we did this. And, of course, it lasts. You know, you get people in the back of the classroom, usually a supervisor, and they're like, man, how long is this going to take? Can you hurry up? Come on. So what was supposed to be a half an hour meeting may have turned into a five-minute meeting over that. And this is what happens. They rely on often the least experienced person on site, which is the safety manager, to go and do the safety stand down, giving them very little or no resources. So they now, and of course, no authority. And what does it end up having to do? End of the day, you like the Navy statement said, when I see a statement like that, that says, we got to try harder. You got to try harder on not hurting people. You have to try harder on not doing whatever. And, you know, this accident happened because the employees were not focusing on what they were doing. This is some of the other stuff I hear. This is from a nationally recognized safety uh, organization here. And they talk about complacency. And this is one of the things that came out with the Navy uh, stuff up front. Again, we got to wait for the report to find out what really happened here, what they say really happened. However, no complacency. We have to fight complacency. Uh, What's the sign of a complacency? You have employees dissatisfied with the work or a lack of motivation. Missteps in work processes. Frequent near miss or incidents. Since it can be, di- can be difficult to recognize these signs in yourself, you should also learn to spot them in your coworkers. And then it has a whole bunch of stuff. Set yourself up for success at work by consciously focusing on your tasks. Bottom line is they blame the workers. What happens with a lot of these accidents? What do you no, First of all, how do you do an accident investigation? We always hear root causes and this and that. And root causes, as was pointed out to me fairly recently, 
That was dealing with machines and processes, not people. When we talk about people, we talk about error modes, we talk about incentives, we talk about the context of what they were doing and that. And we try not to blame the person because if you blame the person, you're not solving anything and you're not trying to improve things because it's really easy for management to say, well, it was Frank's fault. Frank did this. So now we got rid of Frank, so we're not going to have any more problems. How many times have you heard that? I've heard it lots of times. That's really not effective in doing anything. So you have a safety stand down. What does that mean? You have to go out and you have to make sure you're organized. You have an accident investigation that's complete. These are what the causes are. You want to go and find out some what happened here. I doubt that it was the employee to blame for this stuff, but what else happened? Maybe it was management, and I'm going to tell you, chances are it was management of some sort that is to blame for a lot of these uh, problems because they don't keep an eye on their employees. They don't train their employees. They have an incentive to take shortcuts. They know employees are taking shortcuts. They don't say anything. Uh, they set up uh, uh, antiquated processes. I've gone to places that give safety training. And they're, yeah, we, we got a boom truck. We need some safety training on it. We go out there, and it's a 1974 boom truck, uh, or older, with missing safety uh, features on it, doesn't work, broken down, and I'm supposed to do training on it. And I'm like, no, nah, I really can't do training on that. That happened a couple of times, and then you learn to ask questions when you line up the training class. What kind of equipment do you have? Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, you, you uh, ha an employer may go out and buy, for example, fall protection equipment at a estate sale or at a sheriff's sale for a business. Someone's going out of uh, business, and this actually happened. 35, 40-year-old safety equipment. Now, hey, you got to do training on that. No, I don't really have to do training on that. Um, if you want me to do training on it, I'm not your trainer for that. Well, we had an accident and we got to do training and we got to have a safety stand down. Well, I don't know. What do you need? You need to be organized. You need to have a program in place. You have to have, I'd say donuts, water, coffee. Choose your poison on this to try to get workers to come. A nice area to have this in. You have to have a sound system so you're heard. Uh, if you're, especially if you're dealing with a large crowd like I often am, uh, many different elements go into this. But you want to make uh, sure that people are not wasting their time with the stand down, with any meeting. The biggest thing that the, my wife is an event meeting planner. The big thing that you have to do is get organized ahead of time and make sure you start and finish on time. If you can't do that, get someone else to do the meeting. Organize better. That's what you could do. There are a lot of resources out there, things on how to have a successful safety stand down. Here's a couple of them. This is from urban.com. How to hold a safety stand down. One, decide what the safety stand down topic should be. That's a 
really important thing. You have to have a focus. Number two, determine who should participate. This is a little bit tricky. And I, I'm just commenting on their items here. This is not what they're saying. So who's going to participate? Will it be management? Will it be shop stewards? Will it be the entire workforce? Who's going to be there? Using basic sociology techniques and other organizational techniques, most workers are going to be followers. So this is the question. Do we have leaders of the workforce or lead people? Or do we have the whole workforce? I tell you what, there's arguments for and against both. I try to include everybody because often when I give meetings and stand down information and everything to leaders or so-called leaders never gets down to the workforce. So you may want to have two of them, one for the leaders, one for the workforce. And then I always follow up at the end. Your leadership will be talking to you about X, Y, and Z. So now this puts them into forcing them into talking about things. Reviewing your safety program and materials. Number three, again, Mention these are the rules. This is why we're or this is why we're doing X, Y, and Z. This is the system we have in place. Have some type of presentation or activity, movie, personal story. Uh, personal stories always work better, especially when they're not from you. Promote at the safety stand down. Spread the word. Make flyers, emails, text messages, announcements on the way in. Uh, to a facility. So, for example, I worked in an oil refinery. They made sure that whenever there was going to be a safety stand down on the way in, everybody on that, that facility was told there's going to be a safety stand down at X and X time, at X and X location, or during your lunch hour, your employee will, your employer will have a safety stand down. That was a good way of handling that. Again, hold the safety stand down. Make sure it's on time. That's Jim speaking. And, of course, seek feedback from participants. And, again, uh, what I normally have is me talking and someone else observing. This way, because you can't really keep track of four or 500 people at one shot, have someone else there taking pictures, documenting this thing. I record all of mine that I have. And uh, that's what uh, goes into a safety stand down, something meaningful. Now, don't confuse the safety stand down from safety training. Let's say that you have an accident or an incident and you want to have, this is more of an awareness thing for safety stand downs. For training, that's a little bit more in depth. That's where you want to have smaller groups of people involved in training. You're going to be changing a procedure. You're going to be changing a requirement, a workplace requirement, a policy. At that point, you need to have some type of a tr actual training section session. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. See you later this week. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.